Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. For those that follow my podcast or my interviews, you know that I do like to get the backstory and I like to understand sort of where professionals are, the paths that they've taken, and ask the big question of why, right? Sort of on balance, uh, with all things being considered, why are they where they are now? Um, and to talk about sort of that professional and personal path that has gotten them to where we are today in talking with them. Spending time today with Kevin Jenkins. Uh, we're going to get into his background. He is currently the Director of Enterprise Growth at Strategus Group, uh, which Obviously, you know, uh, I have been closely tied to um, throughout the years and big fan of the of the team that they have there. And Kevin, you started back in November. So we were just saying off air how quickly things <laughs> feels like the months just peel away. You know, uh, maybe that's more about my age and stage of life than anything. <laughs> um, you know, what's fascinating about your background, we were talking about sort of this analytical background, the financials, you know, sector background is that I have had so many conversations with young people young professionals or graduate students in my work that are, you know, I'm not saying they're on the Kevin Jenkins path, um, but maybe they are, they would look to you and say, that's a very fascinating professional um, person. You know, the one question they, they bring up, the concern that they have or the, the um, it's almost like a haze, like they just don't know how to take it is AI and understanding mm -hmm. AI and the way in which they believe that it may impact not just day-to-day -day or decision-making, but truly the career paths that have been forged over decades that now some fear may, there may be some pivots based on what, you know, um, the, the super intelligent, uh, you know, AI world could, I guess, um, mitigate, right? So with that being sort of the backdrop, Give me sort of the arc of your career, and as you think about if these young people were in your office now, how might you speak with them, or what questions might you ask them to help them understand sort of the both the complexities, but I think the 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 wonderful nuance um, of a background like yours to be applied sort of in any time frame, regardless if it's the twenty first century or not. Yeah, yeah, um, that's 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 an interesting thread. So, you know, I totally agree. I think AI has been uh, the buzzword of, of, of the past year or, or two. Um, but I think that's actually changing from a buzzword to reality now. Um, but yeah, you know, I'll, 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 I'll give a little bit of context in terms of, you know, some things that maybe I have learned throughout my career that could maybe be useful for this younger generation. So, you know, I, I think, yes, AI will be disruptive in a variety of different ways. That said, um, I think one of the most important things for young professionals, but really anybody is understanding yourself, right? So think, deeply about the things that truly interest you um, and ultimately dive deep into those things. Um, and so for me, that was always math and, and, and finance and, and economics more broadly. Um, and so the reason I say that is regardless of technological change that occurs like AI, as long as you're doing the thing that you're uniquely interested in doing, you'll 
inherently be better than most people because you'll be doing it and it won't really feel like work to you. It'll feel more like play or enjoyment. And so, you know, I think that's that's one core thread that I would kind of encourage folks to truly think through. In addition to that, learn how to learn, um, you know, as it relates learn to- Learn how to learn, I love that. Absolutely, as it relates to this change that is coming and somewhat is already here, the most important skill is gonna be learning how to learn and learn how to learn very quickly. Um, and so, you know, one, one of my favorite books um, is called The Art of Learning by Josh Waitskin. Um, he actually was a professional chess player, but then he translated that into jujitsu. Now he's a professional investor. Um, and so he kind of has this book, book about learning how to learn at an accelerated rate. So I, I would highly recommend that. Tell me a little bit about your background as a student when you were a young person, Kevin, uh, and, and the things that were in your environment that you think, if you had to look back, you kind of say, you know what, I think those were some foundational building blocks. Um, because I, what I get from you and I appreciate is there seems to be a balance about you, right? You're never going to get too high or too low. You're going to sort of be able to look analytically at something and say, let's sort of figure this out. Um, and, and that there is a benefit to a methodology that I think that is, uh, that's poised. And I'm wondering yeah. what that looked like when you were younger. That's, uh, so for, for, for context, um, you know, I initially started as an engineering student in, in undergrad at, uh, at Penn State. Um, I don't think I necessarily chose that. My mom kind of pushed me uh, a, a, a little bit into that. Um, and the crazy thing is I ended up doing four schools in four years in undergrad. So I went from Penn State to West Virginia University to University of Hawaii, and then ultimately graduated at University of Tampa, where I switched majors and studied math. So um, how, okay, we have to pause, we have got to put a pin in that. So how do you, how do you get from Penn State? Shout out to, to the Big Ten here. I'm, I'm a Spartan. Um, but how do you go from there to the University of Hawaii? Were you just a, a kid that you kind of got over uh, snow and, and brutal winters? <laughs> so... That was part of it, yes. Um, that said, there was a there was an ex girlfriend in 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 there as well. You mean um, life happened? Okay, now we <laughs> exactly. There, there was a little bit of life along the way. Um, but what was fascinating about that entire journey is, you know, I I kept true to kind of like engineering, and someone you know pushed me into doing engineering, and I was like, that's what I got to do. And then eventually I actually got an internship at the University of Hawaii doing engineering and I absolutely hated it. Um, and so, you know, on the job, it was great. I actually made a lot of money for a college student. Um, I got to work with all the PhD students in the engineering program. So I, I truly learned. So you ton. had the talent or the skill base where you could, you could execute against the, whatever objective was put in front of you. It's, but it didn't speak to you is what I'm hearing. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, ironically, that was around the time when uh, this term financial engineering kind of came in, in, into light and into play on wall street. Um, and that really caught my attention because University of Hawaii launched one of the first uh, financial engineering programs. Um, 
And so I actually wasn't smart enough necessarily to get into that program, but talking to some of the faculty and staff, they said, just study math. It's pretty much the same thing. Um, and so <laughs> a little trade secret exactly, there for you, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what I did. Um, I, I, I pursued an undergrad degree in mathematics and minored in uh, finance and economics. And, um, yeah, I've been a student of capital markets and, um, in finance really ever since. Um, so I, I, I think there's a couple lessons in there, which is like, you might be pushed into doing something where you might think you want to do something, but go do it, like experience it, um, and be honest with yourself. And it's okay, especially, especially when you're young to pivot, like there is almost no cost to changing your mind. And, would and you it agree, gets harder Kevin, and harder as time goes on. That the financial sector, there's something very unique about it as well, that, it, it you know, uh, there's so many graduate students that I have worked with, especially in that domain, where there's a legacy, there's a family history that plays a role in the decision to partake in a given discipline within the financial realm. Um, and I'm wondering if it speaks to that sort of element that you're saying sort of, sure, there might be some traditional paths that are being carved out, but there are still different ways if you just break down the elements that are required to support that that discipline specifically. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, I think there is a, a traditional element. I think a lot of that, um, at least from my view, is is changing. Um, you know, if, if, if you think about the industry and the way it looks today versus even a decade or two ago, it's a lot different. And in my view, I think in a decade or two from now, it will be almost unrecognizable. Um, Is that so, because of artificial intelligence? Um, or maybe AI, maybe not the main cause, but... I think AI will play into um, the change in the financial services world, especially on, on trading desks. Um, that said, um, I actually think blockchain technology uh, will will play a more significant role in uh, capital markets uh, more broadly than uh, than AI. Is that a result of the the need for security in a world that feels less secure, sort of with every day that passes? Yeah, I I think it's um, a need for security. That's certainly true. But in addition to that. If you think about the way capital markets work today, they're very siloed based on geography and technology isn't, right? So a lot of technology is very global and very ubiquitous, but a lot of capital markets are still very kind of geographically confined. And ultimately I think that capital markets are gonna be much more aligned with the way that technology and the internet exists today. And so if, if, if you kind of play that out, think about like an internet financial system, if you will. And I think really the only way to do that is, um, you know, via, via blockchain rails. Tell me about talent evaluation in your discipline. Um, will it be easier or harder to understand or identify the talent that is out there. And the reason I ask that is because broadly based for those of us like myself and not like you, that would not do very well um, in, in your uh, area of, of, uh, of study here and, and 
and profession because it's not our skill set. Um, there's a, this notion that if we're provided the answers, like if the technological world can broadly provide answers, does that mean that we are going to have to really refine our ability to ask questions, right? And and so it's almost like we're having to do an end around on conventional problems in a new world. And I'm wondering how that impacts the evaluation of talent or the next Kevin Jenkins. That is, that's a great question that I hadn't thought too much about, but, um, you know, I guess going back to, to some of my roots in, in, in math, um, you know, there would sometimes be exams that I would take in upper level math courses that might have five questions. Um, and the majority of the response is really an articulation of the logic and the approach and the way that you think through something versus the answer itself. Um, and, 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 and I think that that's going to be increasingly important. As an example, you know, I have a lot of engineering friends. When I say engineering, I mean computer science engineering friends. And they're using a lot of these co-pilots to ultimately become 10x engineers, if you will. It's almost like having a team of 10 engineers working for you, but they can only do that because they have all the kind of architectural understanding as to what they want to build, how they want to build it. And now they've actually been able to prompt a machine to actually execute on their behalf. And so, you know, going back to how would you evaluate talent? I think it's much more around assignments and also proof points around work that folks have actually completed, not just a degree, not just a static resume, but, you know, maybe it's pulling things from GitHub that you have published in the open source world. So a portfolio or, perspective. Exactly. I think that's going to be universally true across a variety of fields. Like that's true in a lot of computer science fields today. And I think that'll be increasingly true in the future. Would you fashion yourself as a modern day entrepreneur that has understood the risk profile of working in environments where it's about growth, right? It's about hedging on a bet. Because uh, when I look at your background, I mean, I, I can that I can align with, right? And um, and I'm curious as to how you look at risk as an entrepreneur, with sort of baked in your your comfort area professionally. Yeah. So I um, I don't know. I I, I tend to be a at least as it relates to risk, a, a studier of folks like like Warren Buffett and, and Charlie Munger. Um, so, you know, while I do tend to gravitate towards maybe the frontiers of technology and innovation, as it relates to risk, like rule number one, don't lose money. <laughs> rule number two, look at rule number one. Um, <laughs> so... You know, I, 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 I definitely tend to lean towards that in a lot of financial decision making. Um, that said, uh, you know, I've become increasingly interested in some of these concepts of like thinking in bets and, and expected value in terms of probability of outcomes as it relates to, to, to taking on a lot more risk. And, you know, I think one thing a lot of folks 
that I have seen kind of get wrong is, is as they financially do better, they tend to become more risk averse, which in my eyes is very counterintuitive. I think, you know, having grown up very humbly um, and kind of starting here and then kind of inching your way up, I tend to actually want to take on more risk because it's like, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to take on more risk as you kind of have gotten the hierarchy of needs completely met. You think that's Um, generational? I mean, like I think back to the depression era, right. And we're hiding money in mattresses. I mean, there was real risk. There was real fear out there. Right. And so we're going to keep everything close. Um, and I'm just wondering if it's maybe a generational play there. Probably. I think, um, you know, there are some universal truths in financial markets and, and, and risk markets. And that is that fear and greed drive them. And so I think that, uh, you know, certainly my parents' generation lived kind of in this world of kind of fear if you will, given, like you said, a lot of their lived experience. Um, And ultimately, a lot of folks my age have lived through, I think, a pretty healthy financial market environment. Um, And so maybe we have a little more greed in our veins. (laughs) I love that. Um, (laughs) Let's put a bow on this conversation with this. So, I'm so curious at, as the, and maybe it's because I'm envious of what the way in which someone like you works and the way your mind works and the way you're able to process variables that just don't resonate for me. I, it's like a different language. Um, so I say that with great affection for folks who can. Is what's fascinating about your background and and those like you um, professionally is that there's this relationship I would imagine that you have with an answer, very broadly and abstractly speaking. And at some point in your professional journey, as you sort of age and get experience, gather experience, I would think you either become more or less comfortable with providing an answer that has implications on the future path of a business or a group that you're collaborating with. It's not just an opinion in a boardroom, right? You are contributing an opinion that can have significant impact on the trajectory, up or down sort of this, the, the risk index here, um, that has, I think, real um, implications for people. And I'm wondering at what point, if you are now comfortable, at what point did, was there a moment where you, you felt you could trust the gut instinct that you had based on the work that you'd put in and that you were comfortable and then communicating that? Because I think that that's something that we, we take for granted. And I think it's sort of that you know elevator between two floors that if we kind of zoom in on that, we can learn a lot about people and the way in which we can support them in their careers and especially young people as well. Yeah. So, you know, I, I would say I'm on, I'm on a journey, um, in, in, in this particular regard. So I definitely have come from a place studying math and and, and finance, um, and, and even working in those realms for many years of like, things are very absolute and binary. And there is a right and wrong answer, always. That That's kind of like where I started. And I would say like where I'm at now is like, I would say I'm more 
comfortable with with intuition um but i tend to think through the distribution of outcomes or decisions um and then think through what is the, the most and least probable uh in in kind of that that set and so oftentimes when i'm thinking through big decisions we're helping others think through big decisions it is very rare that i am absolute yes or no or this is correct or incorrect i tend to kind of have um optionality if you will uh because an organizing I, principle maybe of information for others to then exactly from. exactly because i've just learned that it's uh it's a dangerous place to to, to kind of have you know confirmation bias creeps in and all these different biases kind of start to set in if you are very binary on decision making um so yeah i definitely tend to be a lot more probabilistic i guess in my 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 decision making now um and i try to encourage others to think that way because what i've found is that's kind of uncomfortable for people because they just want to be like this is correct therefore let's go and commit in that direction uh i tend to that might be true but this might also be true yeah, uh, plenty of decisions are made on the margins right so <laughs> <laughs> absolutely well absolutely. kevin i think uh strategist group is incredibly lucky to have you i find you a very very likable guy um in a in a profession and a in a sector where you know, you have to make some tough calls and and really sort of grind out um, and massage those numbers and understand sort of the impact. And I, and I think you just have a wonderful quality of blending those elements together that is a great example for uh, those that are they're looking in the financial services and really looking at, at sort of an entrepreneurial path. So I look forward to tracking your progress like a stock. I'm sure it's, it's up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I look forward to our next conversation. Thanks, Kevin. Awesome. Thank you so much, Rod. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.